Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. I'm super, super excited to have Chelsea from Lavender on the show. And this one's going to be a fun one, I think. We both have experience working at larger organizations. We have experience working at sort of the scrappy startup world. Now, me anyway, have the experience of running my own thing, which is uh, I get to be every role in the entire business, which is a whole different uh, can of worms. But uh, I thought I'd bring Chelsea on and we'd chat about just how you use content in these different environments. What are the learnings we can take from one place to another? How does it change what we're able to do or not do and some of the hangups there? So I think it's going to be a great episode. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Super excited to be here. I kind of hate doing this because... I always hate to like, give me your intro and who you are and whatever. But I think for this episode, it actually does make sense for us to get into a little bit of your background in terms of where you've worked and what you've been up to over your career. So why don't you give a little bit of just a quick taste in terms of where you've worked, what your roles were there, and then kind of how that's evolved throughout your career as a content marketer? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually a journalist by trade, studied journalism in school. I worked in newspapers and magazines for a while. I was the editor-in-chief, actually, of two magazines. So my first job out of college, I was reporting to the CEO of the publishing company I worked at. Didn't know like what that actually meant. Uh, it was just a small company. I remember a mentor at the time being like, that's kind of a big deal to report to the CEO. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just here. Um, but there's a reason I mentioned that. Uh, then I went to the agency world. So I worked at a marketing and branding agency serving higher ed. I was both on the marketing side and the digital client facing side. So I helped create websites for clients, which was really cool. Also reported to like leadership there. And then I went into tech. So I worked at a company called Emma slash Campaign Monitor. It's an email marketing platform. Really big company, right? So Emma was a tech startup darling in Nashville, Tennessee, bought by Campaign Monitor, became CM Group, which I think is now Marigold. And it's just like a multiple brands under one umbrella, right? Just kind of like gobbling everyone up. So we were a team of 
50, like a marketing team of 50-ish people serving multiple brands. So 50 people across about five brands. So scale up, you know, I think one to 200 million ARR, so big company. And then I went to Chili Piper. I joined right after Series A, stayed through Series B. So that was very much like it was about five years old, Series A to Series B growth stage. And now I'm at Lavender, which is very early stage, I would say. It's been around for about five years. But I started right before Series A was announced. Really just kind of went down in terms of growth stages. And I'm yet to be where you are as like a one-person show. But even at Lavender, there's four people on the marketing team. I do content, but I'm also, I'm actually just kind of doing all sorts of marketing and a small team now. With the similar trajectory of not the journalism route, but right out of college, it was sort of like what the heck do I do with this rando communications degree? <laughs> you know, like, uh, how do I make money doing this? So, you know, I knew I was a good writer. So it was like journalism was one route or like what I ended up finding was sort of the content marketing world, which was super fun. I'm curious what in terms of going from like an Emma campaign monitor world to even like a Chili Piper and then a Lavender, like what has been your favorite thing that you've kind of been able to do at one place versus the other? What's that sort of like, I'm at Lavender, it's awesome because I get to do X versus at a larger org, I can't do Y. Yeah, so I'll start at the Emma campaign monitor level. That was a really great introduction to tech. Being at a large company, I was able to learn, you know, what all the acronyms in B2B SaaS mean. And there's so many players across all disciplines where you can really learn from the best of the best across all functions, like across marketing, product marketing, sales, yeah, everything. So that when I'm at, I've been at smaller companies, I've had to wear some of the hats that I learned from others. So that's been really cool. I would say because we were such a big team, really cut my teeth on like how to really work well cross-functionally. Mm. How do you deploy any even like small changes, anything like small or big? You have to kind of go through a lot of hoops because the company is so big. Lots of layers of communication, people who need looped in. That's a con, I guess. But the pro is you have a lot of players to kind of lean on and really collaborate. So you learn that cross-functional collaboration and communication report building that I found to be really helpful in the smaller companies, especially. Chili Piper, I would say my answer is like, you're a smaller team than, you know, a large scale up, um, but we were still building, experimenting, seeing what works, seeing what resonated, lots of those like throwing spaghetti on the wall and just seeing like, just building together, but you still have a lot of people to lean on. And now the fun of it is like, I get to wear all of the hats and there's a lot of like, there's gaps to be filled, problems to be solved, opportunities, and you can just kind of like plug and play and help where you can. So it's a lot of um, different like growth building for sure. Yeah, I can resonate with that with my early career when I was at TechSmith. It felt very similar. Like, I don't know if I would have survived at an early stage startup right out of college. Like, I really don't. Like, I don't think I don't think my personality fits, especially that at that stage of my career where it was like, I didn't know the acronyms. I didn't know, you know, this from that. I didn't know what anything was in marketing, right? Like I, they don't teach that in college in a lot of ways. So it was like a lot of on what TechSmith gave me was like years of, of on the job training to learn what those things are. I think the communication piece is massively important, which can still happen at a startup. But at that time, I don't know if you were in person or what, but I, it's just like, being able to learn how to communicate with a VP of marketing, to be able to communicate with a VP of another department and how to have those conversations and build those things up 
so invaluable because those skills just transfer over to literally any job you could ever have, any role you could ever have, like being able to sell up and convince or, you know, be able to talk to your boss or your coworkers about a particular initiative that you think should go forward, any of those type of things. It's funny. You also don't think you could have survived at the early stage startup early on? I don't. I really don't. Well, I would say in college, post-college, I kind of consulted or kind of worked on a lot of different marketing projects, even though I was a journalist at that time, I didn't want to be pigeonholed into that. So I would kind of do like any freelance work I could across like just different organizations in my network at the time. So I think I had exposure to what early stage startup life was like at a young age. I don't think I would have quite survived. It's uh, you need some thick skin, which I definitely got from journalism. That'll teach you some thick skin fast. Um, And also from the agency world. I mean, agency life is not easy. It's not for everyone. So I learned a lot from that too. And yeah, thinking about the Emma campaign monitor days, we were in person. So that helped because you would just be sitting in an open co-working space and the CMO or the CEO or another executive would be walking around and you just would have to learn how to have those conversations of like answering any questions they might have or proving ROI, getting built buy-in, communicating changes you want to make. I also at that stage didn't understand like, or no, it's not that I didn't understand. I was still in the early days of learning ownership, mm. right? I didn't really know that messaging and positioning was technically owned by product marketing, at least in that work is always different, right? So when I saw a messaging challenge when I was at Emma, I just kind of went to my boss and was like, we should do this. And here's the exercise. And here's what I did. And here's what I made. He's like, this is great, but like product marketing is supposed to do this. But that actually turned into an awesome opportunity where I collaborated with them on it. And then I built rapport with that person. And now I'm still connected with them. And they were the VP of product marketing. So having that in person, and I was there through COVID. So I worked at Emma and Campaign Monitor before COVID and like working in person. And then that translated to like working remotely. So that taught me a lot to you about like, how do you communicate with people across functionalities and build connections as humans, just getting to know them. And then that can strengthen your rapport too. Like I'm definitely a big proponent of your work is only as strong as your cross-functional bonds because you need your internal players, not just from subject matter expertise, but internal marketing. And it just makes your work better as well. So it's definitely important. One of the main things I think that's easy to get off track or think differently around like a content marketing role is like, oh, I'm just going to be like creating content or building this media hub or doing these things. And that is true. Like in a lot of cases that like, I think you guys do a great job of that at Lavender, like you are creating amazing content in some instances, but then there's a whole other flip side of that coin when you go from like content writer or kind of that more specialist type role into like the strategic head of content that type of role. Can you talk a little bit about, because I'm assuming you kind of went that path a bit throughout your marketing career, like what was the biggest sort of shift in your mindset from like going from somebody who is like maybe more on production side or more on like execution to somebody who is also involved in strategic decisions? It's a little interesting for me. I've always, and this is why I mentioned my first job out of college, I reported to the CEO. This is something I wish I had. I've never reported to someone who is like expert in my discipline. Not really. I reported to the CEO. I reported to an executive director and kind of worked with the founder at the agency I worked at. I reported to the CMO when I was at Emma. 
which he had a content background, but he was also leading marketing across multiple brands and was not quite the same. And then Chili Piper reported to the CEO. <laughs> I report to the CEO, co-founder at Lavender. So I say that to say I've always kind of started as the executor and I'm like writing content and leading for like a little bit. And then a shift internally happens and then I'm the leader. So I've also always been the IC and leader at the same time. So my trajectory is not quite, yeah, like what you just described, but it's been an interesting shift of having to, I enter a role thinking, I'm like, oh, cool. I can just focus on like my discipline, right? Creating content, see where that goes. Um, and something always shifts where I'm doing both, which is also like a challenge. So that's like a whole other story for sure. Yeah. The IC to my sort of path was like, I see for years and then led strategy also did some still doing some independent work and then managed a team when i was a techsmith at the end of that i was really managing an entire content team which is a totally different i felt like i wasn't contributing anything you know other than like leadership and coaching and mentoring and hopefully all those people who are on that team would value that but then when i went to metadata it was like right back into the deep end like marketer number three You've got all this strategy, but you're in charge of executing on it and roll up your sleeves and get ready to go because we need to do some stuff. I think for me, where I was at in my career and even where I'm now doing my own thing, like that's the fun part. I don't know if I just want to like be a, a 30,000 foot manager of a team and like try to just make that all work. Like I do like getting in the weeds. I do like understanding what's working and what's not. The worst thing I wanted to ever become was like that marketer or that manager who was completely disconnected from what was going on. And the further you get away from the work, the easier it is to get disconnected from where you're at. Have you enjoyed doing both? I definitely enjoy doing both, leading and executing at the same time. It's funny, a lot of conversations I have with people, they just end up like, oh, I'm so motivated after, you know, and so it's like, I think just naturally like that type of person where it's like, I like to get people excited for things and ideas. And I think that's probably what makes me a halfway decent entrepreneur at this point. But I think leading a team, it's just a different, like you have to understand it's a different responsibility. Like your role isn't to, it's not to execute on those things. It's not to have the best idea or have the your fingerprints on every piece of content that you're creating or things like that. It's really facilitating the folks on your team to grow and become better versions of themselves to where in a cool way, most of the people who are on my team have gone off and grown and like left the company and done other things and advanced in their careers. And hopefully I was a tiny, teeny, tiny piece of that. But it's a, just a totally different job. Are you leading anybody right now? Are you like, do you have people on your team? No, this is the first job I've had since college. Okay. I'm actually, even in college, I was the managing editor of the newspaper and I had a team. I've like never not had like a team, which has been nice because I'm just focusing on executing. Right. And I think you were the player and the coach, right? Like, I actually don't really like that analogy, but I think to me, like the best leaders are also the best team players. You have to set up an environment where your team can grow and they're able to do their best work and you're supposed to support them. You're in charge of them. You're not in charge. What's the phrase? It's about taking care of the people in your charge, not being mm -hmm. in charge. So I've always felt like the steward of these people um, on my team. And that's like something I actually really love. But then your head also has to be in the game of, strategy and execution and mapping back the day-to-day -day and small tasks to the, the greater goals and your hitting goals and your goals, <laughs> your team's goals and the company goals. So balancing both is tricky, but I think for me, I've always, I've enjoyed it because I'm able to kind of nurture, if I think about like in work, we are multitudinal, right? Of like 
how we show up. So my heart is kind of fulfilled by taking care of the people and building a team and helping them grow. And then my head, my mind, my brain, whatever, is kind of fulfilled by focusing on the work and balancing both has just been an act of time management and strategy and just learning as you go, the more and more you do it. It was not a hard shift for me to move into manager, but there is a lot of those, like when you go into like anybody who's maybe uh, been an IC or is, is an IC right now at a company and wants to potentially eventually move into a managerial role, all of the things that I never thought about are things like, you know, like it sounds great when everybody's happy and everybody's moving. But what about when somebody's not happy in their role? What about when somebody is, you know, not performing well? What about when somebody is, you know, like all the things that happen in a relationship or happen in a manager to coworker relationship or things like that? Those are all the things I don't miss at all. <laughs> like, those are the things I don't miss at all about running a team. I loved being um, responsible for their growth. But those just like anybody who's a parent and has kids and you're trying to raise, it's a Great job. Wouldn't change it for the world, but it's some hard work sometimes. <laughs> it is like being a parent. Yeah. <laughs> it's the context switching, right? Of yeah. Your brain is you know, like, we only have so much energy and time and capacity. And so it's hard to spend all of that on like the emotional aspects of being a people leader, conflict resolution, et cetera, and then serve your role as a leader in the company and then also try to execute. So at least at Lavender, it's nice because I'm just focusing on myself is different <laughs> for sure same with me yeah. yeah same for me right now it's just like oh this is solely focused on growing this thing that's a different world uh <laughs> i'm interested in getting a little bit into now that you're at lavender you're running content you're also an ic i'm curious to get a little bit into the weeds in terms of like what you all are doing. I think a lot of people see your stuff and I think you, you guys are doing a great job, but I also know you you all do a really good job of utilizing all of the individual contributors, at Lavender, and not just like pumping out generic content. I'm just interested, like solely uh, selfishly, like how are you guys doing that? How is that sort of formed up between you and your all your coworkers, and how do you create the content plans and what you're doing? And I'm sure it's a collaborative effort. It's super collaborative. It's very unique, I would say. It's the most unique way I've entered a company and unique org. Um, we're very flat. So when I started at Lavender, I think I was higher 13. We're at 25 now, still four on the marketing team. But a couple months before I started, the whole company was like six people. We have like two sellers, so very small. Someone the other day actually was like, oh, so you have like, what, like 250, 300 people? And we're like, no, there's like 25 of us. So that is just to say that a lot of it is you talk about plans and strategy. Like I'm a very big strategy person. I'm a big believer. And I think strategy is underrated. I think many people over-index on execution and don't spend enough time on the why and how. But at least here, I think the strategy is so baked into who Lavender is so the ethos of the brand that was started by the co-founders is when everyone else digs, we zag. And another core ethos is around the idea of just like helping with no expectations in return and just doing things in a way that's creative and fun and different and helpful. So as long as we're meeting those standards and we're kind of on strategy and then the team was created very much by design. So everyone's kind of handpicked the best at what they do. You know, we got Will Aiken, who is Will Aiken. <laughs> 
He's uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he uh, used to work at SalesFeed and he's very much like a sales influencer content creator. Uh, we've got Todd Klauser who kind of entered with the idea or kind of proposed this idea of own media, right? Like we're building Lavender Land on Audience Plus, big believer in own media, of course, but had this idea of enabling everyone to be content creators internally. So a lot of what you're describing is very much Todd's strategy and how he pitched himself to Lavender, honestly. And then we had Jen Allen, who was still part of the team in some capacity. We've got Raina uh, Van Vuzikam, who is our, ra- our video editor, and then me doing content, all of the written stuff, but also branding, website, positioning, messaging, email marketing, and a few other things. But that is just to say, like, we just kind of are collaborative by nature. The team was inherently hand-selected to not have platforms, but to understand our audience and the content we want to create and really kind of nail like that creative element. So if you saw our Slack channel, <laughs> that's kind of like everything is in Slack. Everything, there's not a lot of strategy. I mean, there is strategy. There's not a lot of plans around a lot of what you see. A lot of it is just kind of like off the cuff, like we have ideas. We actually do have a lot of plans as well. I shouldn't undersell that. But at the same time, we're um, we're also just agile and nimble. And if you have an idea, we just kind of run with it and do it. And it's that idea of when you're at an early stage startup, you kind of just have to be agile, nimble, biased to action, be proactive, just go execute. So it's a lot of that. It's a lot of just like really liking each other and getting along and being in the same like wavelength and just having fun doing it. So there's not a lot of places where I think I would have this experience that I'm very grateful for, just like this team that just works. So what you see is very much just like a symptom of this like very curated team that kind of just gets it and has fun. It's kind of the dream scenario there, right? Like you got all these A players who can come in and just do their role and have trust in each other and do some really, really cool work. I'm interested in how you all because I'm sure it's been a a different world at every single level of those companies you've been at. What you just described to me in terms of like doing what's right under like those core ethos, like that's such the right way to do things. But I think for most companies, it's really, really hard to ingrain those into like, they might say that, but then they're like, well, where's our SQLs? Or they might say that, but hey, how is this piece of content we need some demos. Like, mm-hmm. how do you all balance like that long-term expectation? Like, this is the right thing to do in the macro versus the Q4 numbers we got to hit and what are we doing? Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, the branding aspect is super hard, which is why there's so many experts who charge for their services and doing it. And, and rightfully so, because hard work. You know, the agency I worked at was a branding agency. It is really hard work. And it's one thing to... These are our brand values and our mission. And here's our quote on the wall of our office. Um, But I think if anything, like COVID really also taught us how do we exhibit those things when there is no office? And it kind of took away the physical elements of what people and brands and companies thought enabled them to focus on their brand. So it's hard. So we very much balance like the brand awareness with the actual like revenue impact at the end of the day. And we see it, like we see it through self-reported attribution. We see it through in-person experiences and qualitative feedback online. So in terms of how we balance that, I mean, we definitely early stage, still figuring out a lot of attribution, still figuring out a lot of um, actual like data reliance on like what's working, what's not working. But like I said, we have two sellers right now. 
when I started, the co-founders would say that 90% of the company is marketing-led. I still say it's pretty high. It's like 80, 90%. And we just know that because we're not doing a lot of outbound. Everything is just most of all of our leads are inbound. So that's where we know like something is working, even if our attribution models aren't quite there yet on telling us the channels that are driving it. Although we're getting closer, which is exciting. We're also learning a lot about that through in-person events. So I've attended a few events this year. We've got uh, one of our co-founders at a couple events in Europe right now. And you walk into a room and people walk up to you and like just know who you are in a lavender. It's really weird. And then I only say that as like a testament to what everyone in the company is building from like the product to, to sales and CS. I mean, you can't have the revenue if you don't have the brand. Mm. It's a big balance. And um, that fight is always really difficult <laughs> at most orgs. But it's nice, at least, like our co-founders understand that that's how they kind of built the brand to begin with um, from early days of, well, already sharing helpful content about sales emails on LinkedIn organically, all on rented land. So it just kind of started there and just keeps building. How are you guys doing the self-attributions that are like, how are you, what are those signals? Is it a form on your website? Is it, you know, something else you're mining? Yeah. So right now we do a few things. We have Servikit, which is just like a little pop-up window on your browser. So the first time somebody is on our website, we're just asking them how they heard about us. So that's like a very passive, low intent kind of way that we're gathering data. Um, and then we have a text field on uh, a demo. So you would want that on like a high intent form. So on our demo request form, we have a required open text field with no options of so just people sharing how they found us. So most of the time when you have no required options, you know, a lot of people will do drop downs, but that creates a lot of biases. I actually was just looking at this yesterday and there are a couple that it's like LinkedIn, Will on LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever. Like those things all get lost, you know, as you know, in other traditional mm -hmm. attribution models or GA, et cetera. So we're able to see all that. Sometimes people leave paragraphs too. <laughs> They're like very detailed. I was reading them yesterday. I'm like, they took a lot of time in letting us know how they found us. So it's really cool. You just, yeah, you just kind of ask and not never annoy answer, but it gives you a lot of the signals. I've also been, I was going to say loving GA4, but I probably shouldn't say that. Um, I'm loving events and conversions in GA4 because we're getting a lot of really good signals from that as well. Um, and kind of seeing like what people are engaging with and what's actually driving free installs to the Chrome extension, uh, Lavender's Chrome extension for anyone who doesn't know, or demo requests. So that's been pretty cool. That's awesome. I am uh, very, very similar, even with my own business. It was one of the first things I did was have that form when somebody wants to get a hold of me. Okay, how did you hear about me, et cetera? I bet you all have the same thing that happens. But like, even for me on a very small scale, I'm constantly surprised at the amount of people who are like, oh, I just love your podcast. Oh, da, da, da. Like just, and I'm like, oh, I would have never in a million years known you listened because when I go into Captivate and try to see, it's just like X amount of downloads and there's nothing, right? Like you don't get that feedback, but every time there's a DM or there's a email response or there's something where they mention it or a comment, it's like, oh, I'm screenshotting that and I'm just putting it in a folder, putting it away for me for later. If I'm having, having a day, I'm just going to go look at that and be like, all right, Yes, the podcast is maybe not skyrocketing growth, but there is this, you know, this sort of drumbeat over time of folks who are, I had no clue who were listening to the show, enjoying it, getting good information, helping, you know, transform how they do content and all that good stuff. It's amazing when you see, like you said, you're surprised every time. It's fun. 
it's honestly like a thousand times more fun than looking in GA. <laughs> like yeah, getting is. that one, you know what I mean? Like getting that one like response of like, oh, I loved this episode where you talked about X, Y, and Z with so-and-so. I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch with this episode from Chelsea. So last question to wrap, I think for this particular episode, it'd be interesting, like thinking back in time, thinking through your career as you've gone through these different stages, different companies, different levels, like what's the piece of advice you would give somebody who is just starting out in content marketing, just getting their feet wet? Maybe they're a few years out of college, we'll say, and they're just trying to ramp up the career. What advice would you give these folks in terms of career advancement, becoming a better content marketer, all that good stuff? It's a big question to end on. That's a big one. So there's a lot. I think it depends on their personal goal. I worked with a lot of content marketers who are in their early a stage of their career. And they're like, I want to be a marketing leader one day. So I think there's two tracks of advice I would give if you want to be a, a leader. Some people don't, they just want to execute. I think I would say observe. So listen more than you talk. I think I learned a lot early on in my career, at least in B2B SaaS, just observing and asking questions when appropriate. I mean, you always ask questions but just kind of observing and learning from everyone around you because that really enabled me to see what I liked, see what I knew, see what my strengths were and also like be like, oh shit, like there's like a lot that I don't know here. And then I could lean on people I was building rapport with and trust with to kind of answer those questions. So I think a lot of observing and kind of seeing what you gravitate toward in terms of interest, because there's a lot of different ways you can go, right? Like, for example, like you, like you focus solely on distribution, which is one aspect of content marketing. And that's really cool. Like, you're like, I really believe in this. This is something I like, I feel strongly about and I'm good at. So I think if you lean on that advice, then you're a little better equipped to navigate the rest of your career because you'll have a lot of experiences, right? Where you're maybe just focused on blog writing and then Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you don't. What else would I say? Don't be afraid to be a contrarian would be another one. I think that has served me very well in my career. Mm. And I'm not necessarily saying like always push back, but my first tech company I've referenced, Emma Campaign Monitor, we were still in the early days of doing form fills, MQLs, passing them over to sales. And I was brand new to this world, but I was like, something here doesn't seem right. I don't think these people are interested in buying. They just wanted like to attend our webinar. And this was, you know, this was like 2017. So this is before Chris Walker, before Dark Social, yeah. before all of that, before COVID. Um, but I was just like, this doesn't seem right. It's not that I was certainly at, not at all the first person there or ever to have that thought, but leaning into not being afraid to have a differing opinion, I think can serve you really well, especially when you're you're getting your feet wet, you're early in your career, you're seeing things for the first time. That fresh perspective is really valuable when you're at a new company or you're, like I said, just early in your career. So don't be afraid to like lean into that, I think is really helpful. Love it. Such good advice. I think the thing I would add to that too is the number one thing where I think content marketers who are fresh in their careers that can really just expand and grow is to always stay curious. Like mm -hmm. that's my advice is stay curious understand that things are constantly changing and having that opinion, I think I would agree, like have that opinion, be able to be a little bit contrary. And if you see something moving, but maybe hold that a little looser than you think, like that would be the advice I would give myself if I looked back five to 10 years is like, because I'm pretty good at being contrarian, but hold it a little bit looser because stuff changes and things evolve. And especially, you know, maybe a little different if you're at the startup and things are just moving so fast and you got it going. But 
it can be frustrating if you're at a larger company who's a little bit slower to move and you've got these you're listening to shows like this or other things or watching other content. You're like, ah, we got to be, you know, what are we doing? MQL is the worst thing in the world. Just understand that there's an entire organization around around that system, too, where it's like, OK, you're right. But there's more people you got to got to kind of bring along with you to be able to make that stuff happen. So. So awesome. Thanks, Chelsea. Uh, it's great to have you on. I, I'd love to have it on at another point. And we'll just keep chatting about what's going on with Lavender, what's going on with you. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on and talk about a little bit about your career. And I hopefully this would be helpful for other folks as they try to advance in terms of what they're doing or even just kind of are taking a, a reset and looking at what they've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it's helpful and it's a fun combo. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Chelsea. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.